We are doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We spent the first four weeks uh, talking about what the Spirit does for us, not technically the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but now we're going through. We've already done love and joy and peace. We've done love and joy. Now we're on peace, obviously. Hopefully you're tracking. And so in, the, in light of all of these heavy, heavy things that we've been uh, praying about, and, and then specifically uh, to us in our church, I wanted to start off with a peace joke to lighten the mood a little bit, okay? So rest in peace, boiling water. You will be missed. Are we thinking? Do we got it? It'll come to you. It'll come to you. It'll come to you. Oh, okay. I want to see the light bulb come on, right? Some people say there's just a very easy way to have peace. It only takes three words. Whenever you come up and you need peace, you just say, not my problem. Then you're done. That doesn't really work that great. A lot of us, when we think about peace, we, we think of this Zen way of approaching the world where everything runs off your back and you get rid of your cares and you, you go on vacation. There are places that, that's, that are peaceful in your experience. True, true. But, but when we come to this in the Bible, we are talking about a supernatural event. It's the fruit of not your demeanor or personality or, or circumstances it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bringing this out of you. It's not just the absence of conflict. For after all, some of us are very conflict-averse. And that works until it doesn't. It's not just being unbothered or unhindered. Biblical peace, like these other things, is not just the absence of trouble or escaping Biblical peace is wholeness, flourishing, everything set right the way it's supposed to be in every single way. Now, I, I say that I'm not going to do this, but there's always exceptions to the rule, right? I don't really talk about the Greek and Hebrew, but you get it today because one of them is very famous. But the Greek word for peace is irene, which is where we get the word irenic. And that's where the name Irene comes from, which was my grandmother's name on my mom's side. My other grandmother, her name was Oldine. So I had Oldine and Irene. I'm going to guess that combo of names, grandmother names, is not going to come around a lot more often. We may have retired these. Maybe we'll come back. I don't know. Irene, Oldine. But the, the Hebrew word for peace you've heard, shalom. Shalom. I think of it as peace plus. It's not just a greeting. It's not just something to put on your, your door place, although those are fine. It's everything set right. Flourishing. Flourishing people in all the ways you could think of. Flourishing world in all the ways you can think of. So in the chaos of our lives and our circumstances, of, of our nation, of our world, where do we need that? 
And in the chaos of your own heart, your jumbled, messy heart, life. You know, I, I thought about this when I was sitting with my dad in the hospital. So, so that's literally true, but what is that for you? What place are you have to be in or walking into? Maybe it's a, a, a circumstance or a situation or a relationship. Do you need flourishing, wholeness, everything set right? And this text, Stephanie read for us in, in Ephesians 2, says, For he himself is our peace. Paul certainly thinks that there are peaceful places and peaceful relationships and, and peaceful, peaceful situations. But, but peace ultimately is not a state of mind or, or an experience or a habit to turn off your phone or put the computer down or, or leave the situation. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. We, we've gotten over these things. So again, today, let's do that. Remember, the big story is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created everything. They created all life. They created people and, and created us in the image of God, male and female, and, and called all these things good, very good. And He put two people into the garden. This is perfect flourishing right here. The way things are meant to be. It's hard for even us to imagine This is the most awesome shalom we've had yet. And it was disturbed by sin, by rebellion, by disobedience. When when this couple wanted to have all of that, but without God. And, And from that decision... Remember I said you can blame Adam one time. Have any, any kids blamed Adam one time for, for something? One time. You only got it once. Uh, but out of that, we get born into this. It's our ecosystem that, that we find ourselves in. It's, it's rebellion. It's, it's death. It's war. We participate personally and, and collectively. And God says, one way he will deal with that is judgment and wrath and penalty. After all, when, when things get broken, they, there has to be a, a fix. When, when sin happens, there has to be a payment. And he's angry at our rebellion, our, our covenant breaking. We are not at peace. We are not at peace but with God. That is not in any sense our natural state. So we, we come out mad at God. Not trusting Him. Cynical about Him. With our guilt and our shame, we're at war with God. Now, I want to remind you, there's a lot of different ways that that can, that can look. It's not just all shaking your fist and cursing Him. It can be a very silent, seething, anger with a smile on your face. It can be a very successful religious war. It can be an indirect war. And one huge strategy that people have is to follow all the rules so the spotlight never comes on them. 
but never loving God, trusting Him, really. It's a, it's a contract. Paul talks about this in Romans 3. You know the wages of sin is death. You know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But remember what he also says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. It's hard to realize sometimes that's us. Raised in a Christian home, church attenders. But that ecosystem of sin is what we do that we shouldn't do, and when we don't do what we should do, it's our actions and our thoughts. So it is a really big thing. Most of the time we don't even understand it all. I was listening on my way back from GA at this podcast that my my daughter recommended to me. It's called The Trojan Horse Project. There was this thing in, in, in England... 2012, 13, 14, and I don't want, not going to go into it all, but someone sent an anonymous letter to people that mattered, and that got gra- grabbed onto, and the letter talked about how there were these um, Islamic fundamentalists inserting themselves in the school system and trying to radicalize everyone in England, or as many as they could, and that, that letter hit an ecosystem that didn't really investigate the merits of that letter and who wrote it and what would be the motive. And if it were true, it hit in this spot where it just was true. And all of these changes happened. Now, whether you think about, I'm not even, just, you just got to think about how a, a place can make things not seem wrong. Now, the good news is that we have a God of peace. In the middle of all that, God pursues his people to make peace with them, us, with you. And there are various places in the scripture, and and still true today, where there are these interruptions, there are these, these breakthroughs, these instances. Sometimes they're people, they might be, kings or prophets or priests or or shadowy figures like Melchizedek and they show up and they stand for a a new way uh, a reconciliation and one of those big ones is a temple the temple that God had the people make Solomon built at first it's one of those pictures of God's presence where he's making peace and blessing his people where he is saying he's reminding them by the the structure itself and then by what happens in it I have made a way for you I brought you out of slavery 
I brought you out of sin and rebellion and wickedness, and you are my people, you are my children. And what happens in that temple and these sacrifices all, all throughout the, the year, but then especially at Passover, violence is done on an innocent animal, an innocent being. The violence of the people, because God demands wrath and payment, and especially that comes out in blood as a picture of of how precious it is, how priceless it is. So the blood of the Lamb becomes His way of a substitute, placed on something else so that His people can live, because His holiness requires it and demands it. It's not just forgotten about. It doesn't just go away. Interesting two things about that. One is, it never really stopped. It was sufficient for a time, especially as that picture, but they had to redo it every year, over and over and over and over. It was never finished. So so in, in that way, that payment was a temporary one the other thing is not everyone could enter there was one person that that got to enter now even in the whole temple there were places you couldn't couldn't go but in this one place and in the very holy of holies behind this veil and you know think of a curtain it's not a curtain like at your house it's more like a curtain at a movie theater that when they pull it back it, it makes a huge sound you can feel its weight it's thick and it goes all the way to the top. And behind that was the Ark of the Covenant that held the Ten Commandments that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai. Can you imagine? I mean, I know they got found in the movie. Can you imagine if we really could find those? I don't think we will, but... So... so Once a year, the high priest goes in. So once a year, the holy man came in and offered a sacrifice on behalf of the people. In fact, this was so scary that they would tie a rope around his waist so that if he died in there, which they always considered a very real possibility, even though no one had died in there, but it was like, we don't know. That could happen. Maybe we were super bad this year. They would put a rope around him so if he did die, they could pull him back because no one else could go in there. Over, over, over. Until we read in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, he sent his son. At just the right time, something else happened. And he came for us. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's temple substitute language. perfect man, the God-man, came 
and absorb violence, wrath, and suffering due to us. Other gods would say, if you disobey, you die. Our God says, if you disobey, I will die. Jesus becomes both the great high priest and the sacrificial lamb. That's a mind blower. And Matthew and Mark both say in their accounts that when he died on the cross, the veil was ripped from the top, which is impossible as far as I can tell. But that separation was true, no longer there, because God accepted this sacrifice. He accepted this costly blood. And in Christ, then, we are, we are unified to Him, found in Him. We follow Him and trust Him. And that means that if this is true about you and you're doing those things, that God is, is good with you. And so we respond to Him and receive Him and rest in Him and celebrate Him and walk with Him because He's not out to get us. We're good. And so in the midst of all that, in this waiting and walking and, and wandering and wondering, we look for all the shalom we can get until it happens all the way. I have a friend, uh, Christy, and she led our women's ministry for a while. And one of her retreats, maybe it was for a couple hours, she, she gathered the women together and they all had their phones, of course. And she said, I want you to, to wander around, you know, not too far. And I want you to take pictures of beauty. I want you to be a beauty seeker. And then we'll come together and we'll put all those pictures in the slideshow and just see what's around us that, that maybe we don't take time to notice because we're in our cars or going too fast or, or busy getting our kids here and thinking about all these things. Look for beauty. Big, small, obvious, subtle. I think we should do that. We should be shalom seekers. When we see shalom happen, it'd be like, whoa, that's not normal. It's only normal if we keep on paring down our affinity groups. That's one way we try to get this piece on our own. It's not a supernatural piece. It's like, I'm going to hang out and talk to people like me. And then you realize, whoa, there's someone not like me in, in this group. So you got to either get rid of that person or get into a different group just like me. You, you don't want to be a group of people that their affinity is not being like each other. That doesn't work. Except for in the church it's supposed to. And so we have these ways that we do it. It's, it's our neighborhoods. And some of them you can't help, but you can mitigate against. Church should be a place where we're, we're knit together in a totally different way, in a supernatural way. We sit next to people that we would never have been friends with normally. And we see things happen where, where shalom is coming out all over the place. Supernaturally. Because we're so good at, at separating. Paul talks about it in, the, in this passage. He talks about the Galatians and the, and the Jews. The Gentiles. The Gentiles, sorry. He talks about the uncircumcised and, and the circumcised. And, and we can talk about these, these divisions that we have 
religious, irreligious, rich or poor, our skin color, of course, our economic levels, our our educational levels, all these things, blue collar, white collar. We divide, we divide, we persuade. We try to sometimes cobble things together with money or power or, or gender or sexuality or race or class or our traditions or our theologies and we rank what's superior and inferior. And Jesus said, I am your peace. Unify with me because I have unified you with the Father. Jesus says, you know how you're good with the Father? You didn't do that. I did that for you and gave the good to you. Paul tells us, take that and send it out. See what he says? For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. We are the temple. We're the picture of that thing. In Him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's why we need each other so much. Why we need to hear what other people think about this world and and this experience in these bodies. In their circumstance of marriage or, or singleness or divorce or or widowhood, or or there are a lot of things that we can learn from people. And that's going to take forgiving. It's one of the four things in the the book I talked about already a couple times. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. Something that we need to say to our loved ones when they're dying, or, or when we're dying on our on our deathbeds, but but maybe before then would be good. Come back to that. In a lot of churches, there's this time in the service, usually early on, where they break and everyone greets one another. And that's normally, traditionally called the passing of the peace. This is the introvert's nightmare. But I would always tell my introverts, hey, you know it's only going to be like four minutes. So you've got to be nice for four minutes. That's it. Go back into your introverted bubble. Uh, And the other thing is, you know, it's not like this deep combo. But it's important because we see each other and we pass peace to each other. Even a little tiny slice of it. It's certainly not shalom. But we think about what we can do. Paul says in Romans 12, if at all possible, live in peace. So if at all possible, maybe I should delete this post. I don't know. Maybe God's uniting us together in our race, class, politics, positions, because for sure, we are going to end up living in a multicultural society. 
of all ways and languages, tribes and people and languages, time zones. And so when we tell that story of creation, fall, redemption, there's that ahead place of restoration all things. That's the shalom. That's the flourishing. That's what we're headed toward. And so in our own personal, right now, uneasiness, anxiety, nervousness, unrest, in our inconsistencies, in, our, in all these things, we have to eventually say, whatever my God ordains is right. That's a song that we sing that's not easy. We talked about this in, in Sunday school. That's a part of being meek accepting who you are and what God has done and even the story he's given you. I don't think accepting the story means, okay, yeah, you can always still hope for a different story or a story turn. You can actually, I think, be somewhat like, ah, disappointed. You know, just because I'm like single now doesn't mean I'm never going to be married again, but I am single now, so I got to be okay now with where I am. It's one example that comes up a lot. But we have to work on this piece. We have to think about it and enter into it because it's not natural either. God gives these fruits, right? And that means as we screw it up and and don't live as peaceably as possible, we have to repent and confess and forgive others when they do it wrong. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will live in perfect peace he whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. We have to be steadfast, resolved, resolute, that we want peace. When I was leaving Oklahoma, I made it a point to go meet with people that I was in conflict with or had been. And It's always a little shocking to realize not everybody likes you. I think statistically, it's no matter what, there's 20% of all people that won't like you. Now, some people, it's 80%. They may need to go toward the, the 20% better, but you just can't make everybody like you. But you, can, you, you have these conflicts that then you can, can work out. And I mean, I had to have some meetings and some mediation. And maybe another four months, we'll have to have the same thing. Who knows? I've got one family that always comes to mind. It really is the thing that happened at City Press that bugs me the most. And there's a lot. I mean, I could tell you stories, right? But the, the thing that bugs me the most is this two families were in conflict. And they were, the, the two of the spouses were brother-sister. That makes sense. And this thing had happened. It made sense why they were mad at each other. But they... We would meet and meet and and talk and talk. And eventually I I said, you know, the only thing, the only thing that's going to work here is forgiving each other. That's all you got. And I cannot help you do that. Forgiving is always costly. Always costly. The, The forgiver pays the debt. And that's, it's easy to think about it when you're thinking about physical things. Like, if, if I let you borrow my bike and then you wreck my bike, either you got to pay for it back, but if you don't, 
See, if you pay for it back, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiving. That's replacing the bike. But if I don't get the bike back, I either got to buy a new bike or not have a bike. So if I forgive you of that debt, it's me, not you. It's harder to think about when it's not physical. When something's been said to you or, or done to you, you still, if you want to forgive, have to pay the debt. Now, we can have long conversations about that. That is not easy in, our, in no way. No way is it easy. It doesn't mean forget about it. But when we do that, it takes words and actions and restitution and maybe boundaries. And it's risky. We, we may need rules around this a little bit. And sometimes it happens in a second. Sometimes it's slow. It's tricky or it can be to figure out as we live in this society what peaceful whatever looks like. We had an overture at GA that was uh, talking about political violence and how as Christians we are not to be political, vi- politically violent. And that's different than just war, although that's debatable for sure. And so we talked about what we can and can't do, and we ultimately didn't pass that overture, which made me sad. But blessed are the peacemakers. One more thing, and then I'll be done. An illustration of this. Remember 1994, the Rwandan genocide? In about 100 days, the most reputable estimates are between 500 and 600,000 people died. Most of those people died from their own neighbors. It's not like bombs got dropped or, or armies came in. There was a little bit of that, but most of it was Hutus killing Tutsis with machetes. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And honestly, we didn't do much about it. Now, it did happen pretty fast, but we didn't do anything. We didn't even call it genocide. It's, it's really awful, of course. So what do you do whenever there are, let's just say, 300,000 people killed 500,000 people? You can't just go up and say, he made me do it, or he, he was the one who dropped this thing, or he was the one that made this decision. It was, it was a whole bunch of people. And they, there was no way they had lawyers enough to try these cases. So they started getting towns together with the people who had done these things and the people they had been done to and talking it through and saying, someone has to pay the price. And they forgave. They didn't have jails enough to put all those people in jail. I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I don't know what. That's amazing, isn't it? Think about who you need to forgive so we can be at peace with each other, so we can be peacemakers. Think about who you may need to ask for forgiveness. And, and remember how hard it is to forgive, but not for Jesus. In Christ, there is peace.
He is our peace. That is your hope today. That is our hope. And if we hope in that together, we are united. Amen? Amen.